Welcome to Wisdom and the Word Podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley continues his study through the book of Hebrews. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Wisdom in the Word. This is our Tuesday podcast that deals with Tune Up Tuesday, uh, which is our Bible study. Uh, as we are going through book by book, verse by verse, um, and we're studying the book of Hebrews currently. We're in Hebrews chapter number six. As we're studying Hebrews six, we're about to enter one of the most difficult passages in all of the scripture. In fact, uh, it could be the most difficult passage of scripture in all of the Bible uh, to understand, uh, along with other concepts. I think that maybe some parallel passages that are difficult. This is a very, very difficult passage. I hope that you will uh, go with us as we look in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Now, again, as we look, we'll probably read down through uh, verse 7 and 8 today, which we should include uh, in this, and we'll kind of add to the explanation. So let's begin here in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse number 4. The Bible says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain, that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned." Now, as we enter into this particular text of Scripture, there's a lot of confusion surrounding it. Depending on the vantage point that you come at, some have used this passage to teach that you can lose your salvation, you can uh, forfeit your salvation through apostasy. Uh, Others would tend to approach this from a different aspect. Some would say this is a hypothetical situation that is presented here that uh, can't be repeated. Others would say uh, from this text that um, what we're dealing with is is strictly Jewish in nature or or we're dealing with uh, folks in the church. and, And so there's a lot of confusion, I think surrounding this particular passage. And I've read a great deal of material on it to arrive at what I believe is the best exegetical conclusion on this. Now, certainly there's room for debate and room for conversation on this. And I think as we study the Bible and passages like this, we should be open to other plausible approaches or interpretations, as long as it doesn't violate the text or the context of what we're speaking about. We're going to do our very best to stay within that context and framework today. I'll be honest, today is going to be all preparation. In fact, we're not even going to get into the verses here of verses four to six, we're going to give you foundation so that we might be able to understand verses four to six. And I think that is uh, just as important as as the interpretation. In fact, we're not going to be able to arrive at a, a proper interpretation unless we have made some observations through the text prior to doing so. And so we're going to look at those observations today. You'll notice the crux of this kind of revolves around the beginning of verse four and the beginning of verse number six. 
The Bible says, for it is impossible for those who, and then he gives a list of, of advantages that they have had, of things that they've experienced. It's impossible for people who have done this, 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 and this. Okay, verse six, if they shall fall away, look at this, to renew them again, unto repentance. So it's impossible to renew people again to repentance. That's the 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 statement here of this of this text. Uh, because they are crucifying to themselves the Son of God afresh, okay, and putting him to an open shame in verse number six. So it's very important that we get a background here and that we understand this passage of scripture. Um, let's begin with uh, some some uh, premise that I think is important. And um, I was listening to a, um, a couple of other teachers on this and kind of gathering some things from different commentaries and different places. So this is kind of a hodgepodge of different things that I have studied and, and read and listened to. But, you know, when you look at the Gospels, one of the things that you become aware of is that there's a difference oftentimes, and perhaps even a difference in your life, between the time when you came to know about Jesus Christ, or you were taught things about Christ, or you experienced um, some things in a church environment, and the, the a difference between the time when you first were introduced to Christ and the time that you became a follower of Christ, when the time when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Well, for many of us, there was a period of time. Maybe perhaps um, if you were saved as a child, you don't remember that time. Maybe you were saved as an adult and you had heard the gospel and you had heard truth, but you weren't ready to receive it. Uh, you didn't want to give into it. You weren't uh, ready to to get into it. And there was a period of time, perhaps you even rejected it, um, or maybe even counted it as false until God did something in your life to show you truth. And then he opened your eyes to the truth and you trusted Christ as your savior. So, I mean, there was probably, you know, a, a period of time between the time when you first uh, met Christ and became a follower. Of course, you know, we know that there are, um, there are many things, many people that go through this particular period. And if you look at the gospels, you're going to find that exact same thing. You're going to find people, uh, in this, in, in, in the Bible, for example, when you look at, uh, Peter, there was a difference between the time when Peter, met Christ, and then he became a follower of Christ. Nicodemus, when he became, um, when, when he met Christ, when he became a follower of Christ. For some, they were the same, like Nathaniel. They, he, he met him and became a follower of him in the same moment. But for others, there was a, a period of time, a time when they were considering Christ. They were thinking about uh, trusting Christ, thinking about being saved. And so I think, you know, these are kind of important concepts for us to remember that there's, there's a difference. You'll notice here in our text, in Hebrews chapter number six, I want you to see what it says in verse number nine, verse number nine. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, better things of what? Than the people that we've been talking about in the previous verses. Uh, really, this goes back to chapter number five, the people that you know, are unskillful in the word that, that don't make, they aren't taking the steps towards spiritual maturity. I haven't moved on, uh, unto something new. He says in verse nine, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And notice this and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, it seems that whatever the writer is saying in the previous verses, uh, he's talking about some people who have some things that uh, are in their lives, but they don't accompany salvation. That is, in verse 9, he distinguishes his other readers 
from the previous group of people in that the things that are in them are things that accompany salvation, but for these others, it didn't. And so it seems very clear from the outset that there's something about these things listed. And if you look at the list, verses four, five, and six, there's something about these things that are listed that do not accompany salvation. That is, they were enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and partakers of the Holy Ghost and tasted the good word of God and the powers to come. Um, there's something about that list. It's a good list and it's a great list, but it never made its way all the way to salvation. In fact, in verse number nine, he distinguishes and, and tells them, he says that we, we believe that this it's different of you, those of you that are reading this letter. So these things accompany connection with the church and with God's people. In fact, all of these things that some of these people had experienced, whether it was enlightenment or the heavenly gift or partakers. And again, we'll go through all of these individually, but all these things that they, that they were able to, to partake of, they partook of, but they did not bring them or did not accompany salvation. In verse 9, Paul says, for those of you, we're persuaded better things of you than those, than these kinds of people, that these things did accompany salvation, that you experienced them and you trusted Christ as Savior. So it is possible to be able to experience the things that Paul talks about or the things the writer of Hebrews talks about in verses 4, 5, and 6, and still not come to the point of true and genuine salvation, as the writer seems to say in verse number nine. Now, a key verse, I think, in understanding this is Hebrews chapter three. If we go back to Hebrews chapter three and verse number 14, Hebrews three and verse number 14, the Bible says, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, again, when we talk about this matter of holding our, our, our confidence steadfast, what he's saying here in this verse is not we are made partakers of Christ if we do something, but we are made partakers of Christ if we hold what we believed from the beginning through until the end. That is, there is a truth in the scriptures that teaches that the people of God genuinely will continue, that they will, that there is a, a continuation in those that believe. Not only will they produce fruit in their life, but there's a genuine aspect of continuing in their faith, of making strides in their faith, of even when going through difficult times, they will endure, they will continue. That's what he says in verse 14 of Hebrews 3, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. He's not teaching a works-based salvation. What he's teaching is, that if we are faithful, it is proof of the genuineness of our faith. The authenticity of our faith is proved uh, through our continuation. Now, again, we see this in the scriptures. Uh, think about uh, some passages with me here today. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, if we, um, if we read what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, "...wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season..." If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, the concept of temptations is trials and difficulties that we go through in life. And notice what he says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God says the goal here is that as you continue through these trials— as you go through these difficulties, you're going to prove, and he says 
your faith is going to be found unto praise and glory, uh, honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, that, that you will go through these temptations and your faith will be purified and it will be authenticated as you go through your trials. In fact, the word trial here in verse number seven, that the trial of your faith, this word trial deals with genuineness and authenticity. That is, that the authenticity, the genuineness of your faith would be found real at the appearing of Christ. When you see Christ, that you, the praise and honor and glory of Christ will be in your trial at the time of your, uh, of your, uh, of you, when you see Jesus. That is, testing in our lives will prove whether our faith is real or not. Testing in our life proves whether our faith is real or not. Same concept of Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 14. In Luke chapter number eight, Jesus is teaching us about four different kinds of soil. He's teaching us about different types of soil that receive the seed of the word of God. And in Luke chapter number eight, in verse number 13, he's talking about four different kinds of soil. And listen to what he says about one of the kinds of soil here in this text. He says, they on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. So Jesus, even in his teaching of the, the parable of the soils, talks about a group of people in Jesus' day. There were people that received what he said with joy. It seemed initially like they were going to be genuine followers of Christ, but difficulty came, trials came, and the seed was scorched and burnt up and did not. And he says, those on the rock, he says, these people are these people. That is, the people I described in this parable that are on the rock um, are these people. They receive the word with joy and they believe for a while. But then when difficulty comes, it proves that they weren't genuine followers of Christ in the first place. So, again, Hebrews chapter number three and uh, teaches us this concept. Uh, Hebrews three, uh, verse number 14. Then we've got first Peter one, six and seven. Then we've got Luke eight, 13. Think about second Corinthians chapter number 13. 2 Corinthians 13. In this text, Paul is going to say something to the people at Corinth concerning their faith. Listen to what he says. He says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Now, notice he says, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And he says, prove your own selves. What is the matter of being proved? That is, our faith is proved genuine. Our faith is proved authentic when we when we continue, when we when we persevere through and go through difficult times, temptations, trials. When we go through those different things, it's important for us to come through on the end. In fact, in verse number six, he says, "But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates." That is, Paul would say to them that we have proved in our faithfulness, in our continuity, that we are genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to prove the same. One verse that kind of summates a lot of it uh, is 1 John chapter number 2 and verse number 19. God expects those that are genuine believers to continue in their faith in the midst of trials. Listen to what 1 John 2, 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that be, they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now, even John says that 
there were a group of people that seemed like they were genuine, seemed like they were authentic, but they weren't genuine or authentic because they didn't continue with us. If they didn't continue, then certainly they're not part of us. So again, there's a thread here in the New Testament that teaches us that there's a measure of continuity and testing and trial that will prove our faith and prove whether our faith is authentic or whether it's genuine or whether it's a fraud. Now, we have examples of these people in the Bible. Think about some of the people that we know. First off, think about uh, Acts chapter 25 and 26. Think about King Agrippa. King Agrippa, and you can go back and study this uh, on your own, but uh, if you go back to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and verse 27, uh, he believes the word, he believes uh, what, the, what, the, uh, what the Apostle Paul has to say. You go back to chapter 25 and verse number 22, we find out that he's attracted to the teaching of the apostles, especially the Apostle Paul, calls for him, wants to hear what he has to say. Uh, in Acts chapter number 26, um, if you read uh, that particular text and verse number 28, it seems to indicate that he's feeling the tug and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Acts 26, 28, the Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. But he doesn't get saved, does he? He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't come to Christ. That is, he experiences, he enjoys, he believes, he has a lot of faith, but he does, his faith never produces genuine conversion. It never produces uh, con genuine conversion. In fact, in Acts 26, 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. That is, he believed the word of God. He believed the Bible. He believed its conviction. He's attracted to Paul. But at the same time, um, when you look at the text, it's very clear he didn't get saved. He almost got saved. He was clear, close, but he didn't quite get there. Think about Simon the sorcerer. You go back in Acts to Acts chapter eight and verse Acts chapter eight and nine. Um, we've got a, a man by the name of uh, Acts eight nine through twenty three, uh, a man by the name of Simon who used to be Simon the sorcerer. Now in Acts chapter number eight, when you read about this guy in this particular uh, text, you find out that he was a man who affirmed the teachings of Philip. Um, he not only affirms the teachings of Philip, but what's fascinating uh, about him, uh, as you read about him, beginning in verse number nine, it says he used sorcery, he bewitched the people, um, and you'll notice uh, uh, regarding him, um, he long time bewitched them with sorceries, verse number 11, and you'll notice Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon was believed and he was baptized by Philip. He sees the apostles come to town. He's enamored with them. He desires leadership in the church. You know, the Bible says in um, verse 17, then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, and notice Peter's response, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent 
Therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. It seems very clear that Peter's assessment of Simon is that while he's abandoned and he's decided to change, he really hasn't fully, he hasn't received Christ. He's only giving Christ an opportunity, and he's been baptized already. He sees the apostle. Acts 8, he's not right with God. His heart isn't right with God. He's in the gall of bitterness. He's still captive to his sin. In fact, early church writers, Irenaeus and Hippolytus, say that Simon, and Simon the sorcerer here, was a key opponent to the gospel for the next 30 years. Not only did he not continue with the church, but he was an opponent of the church. And so, Paul, we deal with these people in the book of Acts. Uh, close, seems like... He was genuine, seems like he was authentic, but his actions and lack of continuation, lack of, of enduring beyond the temptation uh, kind of proved that he wasn't. Another great example is Judas Iscariot. He was a disciple, an apostle. Um, the Bible says he was the treasure of the group. He held position. He was a disciple, follower of Christ, and, and an apostle. He, he held the bag, the Bible says, of him. He followed Jesus. No doubt he was one of the ones that performed some miracles, did great works on his behalf. But according to Jesus, it would be better that this man had never been born. He was a son of perdition and he was going to betray Christ and was never a true and genuine follower of Jesus. Judas Iscariot was lost. So not only does do we have the example in the Bible of these types of things where we where we find that the Bible says that continuation, dealing with temptation, perseverance is important. We have examples of people who were very close but never did actually genuinely receive Christ. So if we go back to Hebrews chapter number six, we that kind of puts us in the mindset of the warning that's going to be given here. Now, there's a couple of other things that we must understand in order to be able to understand. He's going to deal with this kind of thought, people who had tasted and experienced so many different things about God and so many different things about Christ, but they weren't genuine followers. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say here before we finish up, and all this is preliminary to get into the passage. First off, we've got to view this passage with a Jewish lens. This is the book of Hebrews. It is written to Jewish people. So we've got to view this passage through a Jewish lens or a Jewish filter. The doctrines that are listed, if you'll go back with me to Hebrews 6, notice with me in verses 1 and 2, the list here of these doctrines all have Jewish connections to Old Testament teaching and doctrine. These are not just New Testament doctrines. These are doctrines that have root in Old Testament Judaism. If you'll notice the list, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, baptisms. The reason why that's plural is Old Testament. They had washings that were similar to the baptisms, laying on of hands, uh, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. All of those concepts were Old Testament concepts that were expounded upon in New Testament te teaching. Now, these are not just basic New Testament core doctrines that the author wants to move on from. He's not just saying, this is our foundation and we're going to spring forth. I know we talked about that last time in application, but really what he's talking about here are not just doctrines he wants to move on from. These are basic truths 
that are found in Old Testament teachings that are expanded in the New Testament or expounded upon in the New Testament, and they have to be accepted in order for these Jews to become genuine followers of Jesus Christ. That is, they can't move on to teachings of Melchizedek or anything else for that matter until they accept these very basic and core doctrines and become genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that verses four to six is directed towards saved people. I believe it's directed towards people who are on the cusp, who who are, are on the cusp of making a decision. They're either going to continue in their faith and they're going to accept Christ and they're going to become followers, genuine followers, or they're going to make a decision like Simon the sorcerer. Or they're going to make a decision like Judas Iscariot. Or they're going to make a decision like King Agrippa. And they're going to be almost there. And he talks about in verse number one to three, their lack of progress. And listen, their lack of progress is not just a lack of spiritual development. It's a matter of the full reception of the things which they have observed. You've seen these things. You've observed these things. You've partaken of these things. So all of the foundational doctrines they've got to receive, and in order to be able to, to renounce Christ and to walk away from it, they've got to completely disavow themselves of all the things they experience in verse 4 and 5. That is, the experiences of verse 4 and 5, is it, these are the things that they've experienced, that they've, got, they've observed, and they've got to receive. They've already witnessed many things at Pentecost. They've seen things in the early ministry of the church. They've got to accept those things as true and valid and believe on Christ. They've got to accept these basic core New Testament teachings, which were rooted in the Old Testament as Jews. They've known these things, but they've been reiterated and expounded upon. They've got to accept them to be able to move on to the next level, to this, to this maturing process of the Christian life. Now let's talk about the context. That's the Jewish lens. So again, there's there's a, a danger of doing what Judas did or doing what Simon did or, or doing what uh, King Agrippa did, of, of almost being there and then abandoning things. So that's the, that's the danger of not continuing. They've been given many opportunities. They've seen many different things. They've experienced in Christianity so far, their ex Christian experience has been phenomenal. They, they've seen and experienced great things, and they need to believe those, those core doctrines. They need to believe those core things and, and accept and believe that all those other things are validation of the fact that these things are true to be able to move on and be genuine followers of Christ. But let's remember the context. Okay, think about Hebrews. Remember what the writer of Hebrews has warned about in the previous chapters. He's writing to Jewish people, and he spent a great deal of time warning them about the day of provocation. Go back with me. Remember Hebrews chapter uh, number three and four. Hebrews chapter three, verse number eight. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Uh, here's what's happening. The, the, the Jewish, the writer here is writing to Jewish people, and he spent a great deal of time warning them about the day of provocation. Now, what was the day of provocation? It was when their Jewish forefathers tempted God. They saw God's leadership. They saw God, God's miracles. They experienced great things, and yet they could not enter into rest and into the promised land because of unbelief. When they did not believe and they failed to enter into that rest that God had prepared for them because of their unwillingness to believe the words that God had spoke to them. 
They didn't believe. That's why we have Hebrews chapter four and verse number 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. That's why we have Hebrews four. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entry into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. This has been a warning throughout the book of Hebrews. Be careful not to make the same mistake that your forefathers did. You've been presented with great opportunity. You've seen great things. Don't be like them in the day of provocation when in spite of all that they saw and in spite of all they experienced, they chose not to believe. They chose not to enter into the promised land, enter into God's rest. This is the invitation. The invitation is come unto me, all you that labor, and I will give you rest. There's learn of me, what Jesus invites us. The writer of Hebrews is inviting these Jews. Don't let the same thing happen to you that happened to the previous generation. That's the context. When they did not believe and failed to enter into the rest that God had prepared for them, they did so because they did not believe the word of God. So here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, these people are in the same danger. The same danger as the generation in the wilderness, having experienced all the advantages that are listed in this chapter. That is, and be enlightened, tasting the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Ghost, all these things. And we're going to talk about each one of these. But they have they have had all these advantages, and they've, they've seen the work of Jesus. They've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. Their lack of spiritual progression in verses 1 to 3 is not just a sign of spiritual immaturity, but a lack of willingness to move into the promised land and rest of the saved life. They have to move beyond the basic doctrines that have been expounded upon in their New Testament faith. Accept them. Move on from them. Stand the test. Move through. Don't abandon Christ and go back. They're in danger here of repeating the same mistakes of the generation that failed to enter into the rest from the promised land, even though they experienced great things. So what's happening here in this particular text is, again, Hebrews 3 is presented to us that it's important. This concept of continuation is important and that trials are a means of proving the genuineness and authenticity of our faith. We see this in the scriptures. And we have examples of people who failed these tests. King Agrippa, Simon the Sorcerer, Judas Iscariot. Additionally, Jesus spoke about it when he talked about it in the, in the matter of the parable of the sower. People with joy that received and then their root dried up. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter number 1, we've got the, this trial. The authenticity of their faith is proved through the trial. 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. 1 John 2, 9, they went out from us and didn't continue because they really weren't of us. The Jewish lens and filter of this says we're writing to Hebrew people. And and in context, we've been talking about this day of provocation. So when you get to verse number four of Hebrews six, and it says, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, that is, if they turn and retreat, like 1 John 2, 19, to renew them again to repentance. That is, to bring them to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when they have tasted it and they have abandoned and they have walked away, there is an impossibility 
of renewing them again to repentance. That is, they've had an opportunity, and that opportunity may not present itself again. Now, next week, we're going to go through, on the, on the basis of, of this week's lesson, we're going to go through verse 4, 5, 6, and continue on down and explain what the advantages were and what they what these people had experienced. And then on top of that, talk about how they not only had ex- experienced these things, but the danger in verse number 6 of them crucifying to themselves the Son of God afresh and explain what's happening in each one of these passages of Scripture. Well, I know this is a lot. Some of you will probably have to go back and listen or watch this again. This has taken me quite some time, hours and hours to arrive at this conclusion. I believe this is the proper interpretation uh, concerning the text based on the previous text. And I know there's a lot of different speculation on it, but I hope it's been a help to you. And I hope that we'll continue with this study, Lord willing, next week in Hebrews chapter six, and we'll uh, to verse number four down through verse number nine. We'll continue in the exposition of that and use this as a foundation or springboard into what we want to say next week. Thank you so much for joining us today on this broadcast of Wisdom in the Word. We hope that the rest of your day is blessed by the Lord and you continue to serve Him. We'll see you, Lord willing, next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom in the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.